Welcome to Hunting Web Ellis, uh, the podcast series where I'm looking at the wider world of rugby as we head into the World Cup, which is only just a couple of weeks away now. And I suppose the biggest uh, thing that we're going to talk about this weekend has been injuries and suspensions uh, that are coming up um, that are competition distorting in some cases uh, and I think in some cases just really really unlucky um, there were two games this past weekend uh, they were England versus Wales in Twickenham and they were France versus Scotland in uh, Saint-Étienne and uh, yeah look two different types of games I would say <laughs> I have a few questions from uh, listeners as well that I'll be getting to in a minute um, but I suppose the first thing the headline news I suppose is to look at the um, really disappointing news that Roman Antomac has suffered an ACL uh, injury, which means that he is out of the World Cup um, for France. It's devastating, really, for the player. Uh, he's really, really good, obviously. He's you know produced, even just in the last couple of months, that try he scored for Toulouse in the top 14 final was, honestly, a, a, as good a moment, never mind try, as good a moment as you'll see in this game. So for, for that player to... You know, be ruled out of a of a home World Cup in France, off the back of uh, you know an ACL injury in a warm up game. It's tough to take, and it's uh, it's it's a sickener for 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 Antimac himself, obviously for for France for Toulouse because ACL injuries, as we well know, in Munster can take a very long time to recover from. Um, but I think it's 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 damaging to the World Cup as well. I think you know you want the best players playing on the on the grandest stage. And I think if you look at the last couple of weeks, that's been a conversation that's been there. Even when we're talking about the suspension of Johnny Sexton, when we're talking about the the the, the, the incoming suspension for Owen Farrell that's coming up in the next couple of days, you would imagine the conversation that's around that is we want the best players and the biggest players playing on the biggest stage. And I think that's. I think the the sadness that's there with Roman Antomac, um I've I've seen a few. Uh, there was a radio bulletin there earlier about, um, you know, it was a boost for Ireland that Antomac is injured. You know, I, I can't get behind that thinking at all. You want to beat teams at their best, and I think as well, like with with uh, Matthew Jalabert or whoever it is that ends up replacing Antomac, th- they're going to put a very good player in there regardless. But I think you look at Roman Antomac, you know, still a young player. Obviously, he's got a lot more World Cups in him. I would imagine. Um, it's a pity to see a young talent like that miss out, especially so close to it. You know, in in a warm up game, um, especially, it just feels extra shit. And I think looking at the quality of the game that we saw here, which was finished uh, France thirty, Scotland twenty seven. Scotland had a a late push, um, in in this game from around the the sixtieth minute on. Um, really brought this game right back in and uh, were unlucky to, to lose given how the, it, it finished but you know I, I think that the the quality of that game in itself you know and the part that Roman Antomac played he scored a try obviously there uh, in the first half that is um, yeah no I think it's 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 a real disappointment and I think that that's the majority of, of the, the, the opinion I've seen on that since the, the news broke of the officially of, of the ACL injury this morning but on the actual game itself um, it was a real firefight in, in Saint-Étienne um, two really good teams I think and I think that when we look at, at France here they obviously started the game slow-ish really built into it then from we'll say around the, the 15 minute mark they were really just undeniable they were forcing a ton of opportunities they were 
playing with the sort of the kick pressure and the defensive pressure that we know they can do. They were offloading incredibly well. Uh, Antoine Dupont was playing superb. Um, and they really, when they were in that vein of, of in the right position with, you know, the, the offloads working for them and able to impose their physicality from a territorial perspective onto Scotland, they looked formidable. And I, I think you could look at their, their, their kicking approach here, like usual with France, the majority of it was off nine through Antoine, Antoine Dupont. Uh, them and Scotland are both level on the number of kicks that they had here, 21. Uh, the number of balls played, though, uh, is ridiculously low for France. They had a low pass per carry average or ratio here, uh, as we would typically expect for them. Uh, they were down around 1.2 here again, there thereabouts, 1.1, 1.2. Um, very, very low. Uh, they have 180 balls played here, which when you compare that to Scotland at 350, Scotland looking very much like an on-ball team here at the moment. And I think when you look at France, their big game is their defensive pressure is, is massive. Obviously, they maxed out their tackles here. They were... Um, they had 160 tackles made compared to Scotland 73. Um, they won five turnovers. Uh, Scotland won, given how little that they defended, 73 tackles total with 21 missed. Um, they won more turnovers uh, per tackle, which again is, is is quite good. But the key thing here for me for for Scotland that'll give them an awful lot of encouragement, I think, was their discipline. Now some of that was forced by um, big French um, physicality and pressure. Um, but Scotland conceded 13 penalties uh, to France's seven and only lost the game by three points. Uh, and I think that watching the game back, I think that you could certainly make the case that France were tiring as the game went on. It is still pre-season. So, like, I don't think we should be looking at France here as as peaking here a couple of, you know, a couple of match weekends before the World Cup proper starts. Remember, they have to peak for the opening weekend against um, against New Zealand. And that's what their target is going to be. But I think looking at their, their performance here, I do think that they have more gears to go through. But at the same time, if you look at the, the sequence of scoring here, um, France didn't score between the 46th, well, we'll say the 44th minute uh, when Charles Olivon, who I thought was outstanding again, uh, scored his try. Uh, and then Thomas Ramo kicked the winner with a minute left. Um, there's a big period of time there where they weren't scoring. They did look fairly tired at that point. Um, but again, I would say from a fitness perspective, they don't have to peak now. They have to peak uh, in a couple of weeks in that opening round uh, game. But I look at Scotland and they started really, really well. Their concentration levels seem really high. Um, at halftime, look, it was 13-10. And you look at the, I suppose, the, the way that, that, that France pulled away there in that, in that second half early like you had Damien Pinot scoring and you had Charles Olivon scoring like a 14 point like bang 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 putting me into a, into a really really good spot but if you look at Scotland they never really panicked at all and, and and they were I think once they got into their into their phase structures I think they actually looked quite dangerous and again look it's not just about offloading um but they did offload quite a bit and they seemed quite comfortable hanging on to possession. They had a really high pass per carrier ratio here, which I think is, is what they need. Um, there was a few bad passes, but they played more balls than, than France. So you'd imagine that there's going to be a higher volume of, of mistakes and poor passes there as well. Um, but like, I, I think that their, their fitness, I think their, 
I suppose their concentration to stay in the game and I think that we're looking at a slightly more disciplined Finn Russell here in that he played really really well I, th- I thought his kicks at goal were quite good too he missed one alright to be fair a very very difficult one um, but I, I, I think that like Scotland will come away from this thinking you know geez, they were right where they needed to be when you look at their um their physicality to stick it to like to stick in with it because i think when you when you play france you understand that you're going to get fucking pumped up at some point like they're going to come on they've got so such size and power that you're going to get fucked up in the scrum you're going to struggle but they just kept that and you look at finn russell like he's down here for nine offloads do you know like that's that's more than anybody else in this like you look at all of france like france had eight offloads combined like finn russell is down here for nine um like he he's a guy with his pace he's he's elusive enough you know and he's a guy he's a, he's got a deceptive enough turn of pace i think with his ability and his passing and his like he's got every pass you could want he's got the offload he's got a nice short ball mid-range ball no bother long range passing i think he's one of the best going his kick passing is really good as well when finn russell is on like he can tear you up and like yeah i suppose the, the cliche with finn russell is that he'll lose you as many games as he'll win you but when he's in that form when he's playing with that confidence and it's coming off like honestly he's a guy who i think that has unlimited upside and i think the assumption that there is always a finn russell brain fart coming i'm not sure if i'd be too reliant on that you know because i look at france here like i mean or scotland i look at them like powered really um on the back of a really really strong performance by um by finn russell that's the kind of performance that like if they were to show up and against the springboks playing like this i'm not sure if the springboks at the moment have the firepower to score and have that hot streak that france had between the you know the 20th minute and the 44th minute i'm not sure if, if south africa have that in their locker at the moment but like again i think the biggest issue if you're scotland is your discipline now part of their back row build is going to mean that like you're going to have a few breakdown penalties from a scrummaging perspective as well i think that against a super heavyweight pack that's going to be an issue for them but i i think looking at the way that they were able to hang in there that they were so capable with hanging on to the ball now they had turnovers but like a bit like the opposite way when you look at the number of tackles made and missed like uh france have 160 tackles made they have 28 tackles missed you expect that with the way the france defend you look at scotland they have 73 tackles made 21 missed so there's a higher ratio of missed tackles there for scotland which is an issue for them not all missed tackles are bad but defensively i feel that scotland will always give you an in somewhere but you look at their um you look at their turnovers and you look at their uh their turnovers conceded rather like they played as much um like far more than uh france when it comes to handling the ball they made 12 uh, handling errors france had 12 handling errors as well despite having a far lower ratio of balls used that in itself is good for Scotland. It shows that, like, because 12 turnovers isn't necessarily a killer, like, with the amount of possession that they have. I think the big danger for Scotland, and this is something that Ireland are going to have to reckon with as well, is that they can hang on to the ball. That if they kick the ball back to us, or if, if we kick it to them, we won't automatically get into a counter-transition battle. 
our defense and our ability to handle them on transition is going to be massive. If we can do that, I think we'll beat them relatively comfortably. But you look at some of the firepower they've added and some of the firepower they have now in their midfield and back three in particular, they've got a really quick back three or um, uh, back row rather. And I think that all adds to their danger on transition, first phase, second phase, third phase. But they'll just they'll just keep carrying and they'll just keep running through those phases. Like the number of their use of possession here, I felt was actually really good. You might say inefficient, but I think we're heading into a into an era now where what was previously described as inefficient rugby, I think, is actually more than capable of hurting teams who play efficiently. They were able to make France defend for long periods, and even though they weren't able to like to to, to punish France for, we'll say, a good 10-15 minutes, like that all adds up. Like your tiredness stays with you; it doesn't reset after you concede a try. That's something I think that, especially with you know playing a team like France, who you know will kick to you. Like the biggest issue here is that like France obviously kick a whole lot off nine. Uh, Scotland, the majority, in fact, all of their kicking is done off ten. And that's a difference here where they're sort of using counter-transition starters. Like uh, DuPont kicked the ball 10 times, but you look at um, Finn Russell, he kicked it 12 times with Blair Kinghorn kicking four times. Like I look at the the way that they play, they do like to get a little bit of length in that ball, but they're good at hanging on to it as well. And I think that the way they matched up with France here is that France, their default is that they will tackle, tackle, tackle. If they get that ball back on a kick through, they will reset and they will kick the ball upfield or they will kick it out. I thought Scotland's lineout looked looked pretty decent actually. They had a really good strike move off their their initial lineout in this game as well. So I think looking at you know looking at their their ability here to I suppose stress teams who kick the ball to them, which Ireland have done typically, um, that's going to be an issue. And I think that with the confidence they're playing with and especially with, with Finn Russell playing just so incredibly well I, I, I think that there's an awful lot uh, for them to to build on they're they're going to be confident coming into this game like I, I think looking at their back row in general just how like effective I felt like Rory Darge I thought was outstanding you know he's their their primary defender in this game he's, he's won a key breakdown penalty in the previous game he's a very very good player and I think that I look at their 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 build in the back row we used to think that well look it's inevitable that the likes of Hamish Watson will come back in there I think with Richie Darge and, and, and Dempsey I think they're all in that small forward build I think Jack Dempsey has some power forward um, capacity but I look at the likes of Jamie Ritchie and Rory Darge they give you an awful lot um, of everything really like they've got uh, Jamie Ritchie has a bit of line out in him you look at Rory Darge how good he is defensively how, how strong he is with the ball in hand um, and Jack Dempsey obviously is their, their primary ball carrier in the back row but I think you look at, at Finn Russell as well like his individual stats like don't look like a fly half like he carried the ball 14 times did Finn Russell he's offloading nine times he's like he is there everything when it comes to what they bring but I I think that there's no player I think in the game who offers such variety where he's going to be a high volume kicker but he's got a range of kicks in his arsenal uh he's a he can pass any pass you want he's got it in his locker the only thing is, I think, is being concentration, where it's being up and down. I think that at the moment, I think he looks like a fellow who's relishing playing, to be honest. And he's got that excitement where he's able to go out there and, and start influencing the game in profound ways. And I think that this performance here would have me looking at it and going, 
I'm not sure we should automatically assume that, well, it's just Scotland lads. You know, because I think that Ireland over the last couple of years, we've reveled in beating these guys over and over again, home and away, even when they've looked really good and come really close, which has been quite a bit, to be fair, because I've looked back at these games and like there's a few times where honestly Scotland should have beaten Ireland at least two or three times in the last number of years. We've always come out on the right side of the result, but honestly, I think it's something where I would not be reliant on that just happening this time. We're going to have to go out and beat him. And I'm looking at them versus the Springboks in that first game up uh, in the pool. That, to me, is a massive banana peel for the Springboks, where at the moment they just seem to be out of sorts. Like, they've got a, like a game coming up against Wales now this coming weekend, which is going to be a good leveler to see where both sides are. They play quite similarly in some ways. Um but I'm looking at um, Scotland, the confidence they're playing with, um, their ability to stay patient, that they you, you, like they will be given a lot of possession by a lot of teams. But I look at their firepower in the back row. I look at their firepower in the outside backs. Um, I look at Finn Russell, where he seems to be at least removing a lot of those brain farts from his game. Um, and when you look, when we look at brain farts, I mean, most of the time it's him trying to make something happen. I think looking at the talent he has around him now, I don't think he needs to take as much of the game onto himself as maybe he has done previously. And he looks all the better for it. And look at their structures where they seem very comfortable running offload lines, where there's a lot of comfort there with that midfield, with that back row, with that back three, uh, and they have a, a halfback pairing or a scrum half uh, that, that works really well with Finn Russell as well I think that they have an awful lot to look forward to and, and that first game against the Springboks is going to be very very tasty because I think that Scotland will have no fear first of all second of all like I think that they'll have looked against those two games against France with the power that France bring and maybe think well look South Africa will bring the same level of power physically and in the scrum but they are not as advanced offensively as what France are. And I think that the clarity that's in France's game with regards to their own kicking action, I think, is a benefit to them. Whereas South Africa at the moment, I think, they're they're unsure as to what they are. Like, they move from being a, an on-ball kicking team, then they go to being a, a, a an off-ball kicking team. And then you see them try to run through multi-phase possession with players who aren't really comfortable for it. In the same way that if you can you know, stand up physically to France and make them produce something in their backs. I mean, obviously they had the, the firepower to do that. And looking at South Africa, I don't think they have that firepower in their outside back line at the moment. From a, you know, scrummaging line-out perspective, you've got to deal with them. And, and and that's going to be something I feel the Springboks will really go back to as we head into the, 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 the World Cup proper. That's one area where I feel that they're as good as any team in the world. But if you're Scotland, I think you'll be more than confident that we that like that if if you're them, you're thinking we can score tries against that Springbok team. And if they can hold out and if they can give you know, those breakdown penalties that they've been giving away, offside penalties are killers for them. If they can leave some of those out, like I think they have the 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 talent in the room to hurt the Springboks, and that's gonna be something that you know, coming up into that first game, we need to see a lot more from the Springboks in this upcoming game at the weekend. Um, but if you're France, obviously the loss of Roman Antomac and, and, and Cyril Boy as well, I think are two real big blows for the tournament, like I said, not just for France, but, you know, and, and the individual. We want to see the best players playing in, the, in this World Cup, I certainly do. 
and I think looking at uh, Roman Antimac is a, is a sickener like I said because he's such a, a singular talent but looking at Cyril Boy as well that's a guy who's been really really effective for France in the last number of years I think he is has, I think he has their most amount of starts actually since the, the, the last World Cup cycle but looking at um you know the, the loss of those two guys it does force France into a bit of a reshuffle I think they have an, an awful amount of depth you know and I think looking at Matthew Jalabert like I think he's actually been playing better than Roman Antimac in the last number of seasons I think and not, not, not number of seasons I would say this year certainly as an individual I think he uh, creates a lot of, of his own attack himself in a, in a way that Roman Antimac used to but doesn't really bef- like anymore uh, Jalabert has uh, a full complement of skills as well um, but that relationship with uh, Dupont is not the same as with Roman Antimac so that's something that they're going to have to work on but I think that it isn't a killer blow for France in that they, they have a lot of talent there and the way they run their system like you don't need massive amounts of time embedded in with their system to become an important player for them I think that they'll be relying on that with Matthew Jalabert because I think honestly he's got the the ability to step in and, and do give you a lot of what Roman Antimac gave you um, but I think their system as it is allows them to do that in the way that if Ireland for example were to lose Johnny Sexton for the entire tournament that is immediately a massive problem because so much of what we do is based on offensive cohesion for France it's not really as important um, given the way that they play but uh, that was a fantastic game in Saint-Étienne and it's one if you haven't seen I would maybe pick up a file of it if you can uh, because there was lots to like in that game really really exciting the previous game <laughs> was not so exciting um, well do you know what there was a last minute winner uh, there was a last minute winner and um, that is um, always exciting to a certain extent but the actual quality of the game itself was very poor um, I've watched the game back twice again um, not because I'm you know, a big rugby wonk, although I am, but because I wanted to be sure about what I was looking at from an English perspective. Um, Wales were really interesting in this game in that they played like cast, <laughs> right? They, they like, they, like their pass per carry ratio is 1.0 fucking one or whatever it was, ridiculously low. They played so little rugby in this game and they should have won by eight. 10 points I think um, they were like effective when they had the ball like they played a kind of a a, a, a countering game to a certain extent where they, they didn't kick as much as England England kicked the ball 31 times uh, Wales kicked it 17 times so a lot of what Wales were, were doing was actually just based in their own half for the vast majority England had a lot of the territory but Wales were when they were starting their possessions they were they were not very advanced so a lot of what they were doing was maybe trucking into contact and then getting rid of the ball um, but when they did break out they looked like they could hurt uh, England like we have to look at the lineups as well this was not a, a massively strong um, Welsh outfit and they had a lot of guys coming in who were not playing in the previous game the week before England brought in their their big guns really um, and they were as close to full strength as, as I think they can go at the moment they were not great and I think that the big issue I think with England is is that they've got four or five different games that they're playing at the moment where they're good in maybe two of them 
but the other three are really poor and it seems they don't have an overarching system to bring it all together and I think to a certain point like Borthwick in the same way that Eddie Jones found is that he's got a couple of catch 22s that are really that are really hurting him on the first case Owen Farrell as I said on Twitter the other day I think Owen Farrell is a really good player I think he's a a good character I don't know the guy but anything you hear about Owen Farrell is that he's a fucking great lad to deal with really hard worker like obviously you know his his tackle technique is what it is um but like he's he likes the physical stuff as as, as a 10 he always has um the red card he got here was deserved i feel um the suspension he'll get will be deserved as well this is not his first rodeo when it comes to uh penalties and and high shots like that like that's almost a separate thing as a captain he's the automatic choice for england great like i said good character good leader guys follow him he's not afraid of the big moments doesn't shirk away from them but i'm looking at their the way they want to play it seems and it seems that he is not the guy to play that game um maybe he would do so at 12 but they don't want a second playmaker at 12 this system i think doesn't need it like you look at their their pass per carry here to give you just an idea as to how they're playing was around 1.2 they were thereabouts which again is nothing spectacular the number of kicks they have though is not spectacular it's like it, it is it is a lot but we expect that and a lot of what they're kicking is off 10 so you get a lot of kicking from Owen Farrell they get a lot of kicking from George Ford Jack Van Portflet was uh, he was obviously injured and he's out of the World Cup as well unfortunately but Ben Youngs as well came on he wasn't on the, on the field all that long um, didn't kick a whole lot England are mainly kicking off 10 at the moment and they're kicking a lot so they've got a lot of guys there like as in they've got their like their top five kickers you've got Farrell obviously on 10 Ford on, on five uh, Van Portflet on four then you've Ben Youngs and Elliot Daly on three each. That's a lot. Like that's a that's a wide range of kickers that they have there in their in their um like and that's their their entire complement of kickers right there. Like you've got Elliot Daly who played on the wing here. You've got Freddie Stewart played at, at, at fullback. Could have seen a red card himself as well actually. Um, you've got George Ford who came on as well and uh, an, an old an Owen Farrell. Like I think with the way that. England are playing the amount of kicking that they do the volume of kicking off 10 that they do they need George Ford at 10 he's got the wider variety of kicking and I think he's better at it if he's going to be if there's going if you're going to have your your 10 making you know 10 or 11 kicks in a game or more I would prefer to have that guy be George Ford but at the same time Owen Farrell is a great player and a great captain so you're kind of trying to make that work as well because he's your captain as well, obviously. But offensively, I'm not seeing too much about what England are trying to do. Like I said, they've got a couple of different... like Their, their line-out, for example, right? Is really good. Their line-out mod is, is pretty good as well. But like I look at their line-out here. Like they, they had eight. They ran out 100% off the line-out, right? Compared to Wales, by the way, which is ridiculous. But I think what England are looking to do is, is that... They're obviously a really fit team, okay? And they've got a lot of fitness there. I think they've got some decent players as well. Not only do they have a massive amount of talent, but they've got decent players there. They've got guys who can win turnovers, as, as they did here. They won nine turnovers to Wales' one. Um, but I felt that against this Welsh team, who showed up, playing, like I said, playing like cast, they weren't able to break them down. They don't have the players for it, I think. 
like Wales came here and played like I said like 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 prime cast they made 125 tackles uh, they only won one turnover because they weren't really massively enthused about getting an over the ball at the breakdown um, they did at the, the odd time but you look at the, the dominant tackles they had there five dominant tackles from Wales uh, they have a few injuries of their own to worry about as well but like they've conceded 12 penalties each Wales conceded 13 turnovers like off the amount of ball they played is fairly fucking poor but like they are at least playing with an identity with England I'm not quite sure what we're seeing from them yet now that doesn't mean that it won't work come the World Cup but like I said I think, I think they're caught in between two states at the moment certainly when they come up against a team like Wales here who kind of who off-ball them to a certain extent like England are struggling first of all to create gain line um, they're struggling to create line breaks they're struggling to I suppose open the game up for themselves as well where it seems like they have to work incredibly hard to get any sort of scoring situation going and like their line out game is really really good but their offensive game off the line out isn't great like it feels like that should be better than what it is like like I said they have elements of their game that work but I, I think the biggest issue for them at the moment is is that they don't actually have the pack um, they don't have the pack to play the way that it seems that they want to play like again I think that they like to kick the ball they've got a lot of variety in their on, on their kicking as well they stay patient on that too they've got a big hitting midfield who act again a little bit like small forwards they've got Ben Earl who I think suits what they're doing far better than Billy Vunapola uh, Vunapola here like I said look I've, I've always been a big admirer of Billy Vunapola the player but for me he didn't get on the, on the ball enough here um, and when he did get on the ball looked ineffective flopping into contact getting stopped relatively easily I think the extra few percentage points of athleticism that marked him out as being able to play in the back row at plus 120 kg and just destroy people the injuries he's taken over the last year or two have, have taken that down a little bit whereas now he reminds me a little bit of a prop carrying the ball where he'll obviously take some stopping but the explosivity that was there that marked him out as being one of the best players in the world you know four years ago maybe even three years ago that is not there anymore and I think the game to an extent is moving beyond him um, I think England do have good players. Like I think they're, like their 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 midfield to me like to, makes sense to me. Obviously, I think Manu Tuilagi adds a little bit more to them there, but I think with the way that they're playing, there's no clarity. Where, like, everything seems to be very very process driven, but when I'm looking at their processes, I'm seeing a number of gaps. In the process because like looking at ireland we know that the way ireland play whereas we will start off with a counter transition starter play right we know our transition defense will bring us into the game then off the back of that when the opposition kicked to us we know what we're doing we're going to run into you know first or second phase transition we're going to get into structure we're going to start hurting them then on phase play and we've got our, our forwards passing off a lot because they have to because we know what we're doing right we know what our identity is as a team england i feel don't really understand what their identity is as as a team at the moment. I'm looking at their like their like their forwards here. Like they they pass to a certain extent. Like Billy Billy Vunipol is down here for three. That's the most in the group. Uh, they've got Toji has three passes, as does Will Stewart. I think with the amount of ball that they kick, to get the most out of what I think is a decent enough defense. I mean, and I'm speaking relatively speaking here like they still concede way more tries than they should but i think there's the the, the bones of a good of a, of a good um defense is there 
and and from a midfield perspective, I thought that uh, Joe Marchant and um, Ollie Lawrence actually played pretty well. But I think it's their. I just I just think the, the clarity in their game isn't there where they want to kick the ball. They want to play with the territory that that brings the ball into the opposition half of the field, make them defend. And I think what Wales did here is what they just gave them nothing to work with, where everything was very conservative and solid and they didn't leave a whole lot of opportunity for them given the amount of possession that, that, that England had they didn't give Wales a whole or England a whole lot of, of, of um, ball to work with and I think that what uh, by ball I mean the useful situation that I think England were looking to generate which is transition I think they're looking to try and build a little bit more on that they're not able to get themselves into a position to hurt um Wales because of the way that Wales played like I think Wales discipline was the biggest bonus for England here because I think that like the what was the number of like they they conceded the same number of penalties I think in the end but like the the key penalties that Wales conceded really fucking hurt them in the end it was 12 each yeah but like I still think that Wales should have won like Wales defensively were very comfortable at times England again look very one dimensional which again I know it's a cliche but it just feels that a lot of what they're doing we've seen before and the guys that they want to, to use to open up certain avenues of attack and certain avenues of their that to give us something new on phase play it's not working for them like I think that the biggest issue for them is that their pack are not forcing compressions Billy Vunapola in his heyday created those compressions by default not anymore and I think that they have Guys like Harry uh, Harry Arundel, they've got Ben Earl, I think, as well. People are saying he should start at number eight. It doesn't really matter where he starts or what jersey number he wears. Like, he plays in those white spaces. He will be way more uh, capable of hurting teams if you can get him workable possession in those wider areas. Um, they want the likes of Billy, Billy Vunapola trucking in off nine. But I think overall, the quality of their team has dipped um, in the last number of years quite quite considerably, I would say. And you look at some of the guys they had previously, like ben, Billy, Billy Vunapola is not the same guy. Mako Vunapola obviously has dropped way, way back from his peak. Um, those are two world-class guys who you've lost, even though they're still in the team. That adds up. Um, I think they're, they're lacking clarity again, I think, with their with their outside backline build. I think they have things they know they need there. They need to have a, a variety of kickers. They're going to shoehorn Elliot Daly in to a certain spot, you know, where, where they can. Freddie Stewart, I think they, they love. I think, and I, and I can see why, obviously, he's a really talented player. Um, but I need to see more offensively from him. Um, like, obviously, he's a very big player. He's 6'5", um, and he's a big physical guy as well. But I, I need to see more than good high ball work in, in the backfield from him. I need to see more physicality um, because it feels at the moment that they've got a number of catch-22s where we've got, we've got, we've got to start Freddie Stewart. We've got to start Owen Farrell. Um, we need Elliot Daly in there. And then you're left with, well, who's your midfield then? And if you're going to play Elliot Daly, I think you have to play him in, in on the wing these days um, if you're at test level. But if you're looking at the... Um, the midfield they have at the moment I think Lawrence and um, Marchant actually did relatively well but they're going to be your options for your 10 which is Owen Farrell but if their primary action is to kick and to try and force turnovers up the other end and like they did like they won a lot of turnovers and they forced a lot of turnover tackles they had four turnover tackles and then they won nine turnovers like that's 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 a good return from this style of play 
but I think we can't look at what they've played and what they've shown us in the last couple of games and gone fuck it this is actually really poor and, and they're playing Ireland this weekend so obviously I'll be covering in a little bit more detail in the red eye this week but I think from, from an Irish perspective um, like the fact that they kick at a very very high volume and we do as well like that should keep the game relatively close for a time but when it comes down to it England are working incredibly hard to create any sort of try scoring opportunity I think if you've got a good line out defence against them and don't give them access to their scrum uh, or give them cheap penalties they struggle to break you down so like that game even just now looking at it from a couple of days out I don't know what the teams are going to be but I'm looking at the way that um, that that England here really struggled to create against a, a Welsh team who gave them nothing like Ireland will give them nothing either and I, I'm not sure if they have the firepower in the back three at the moment to hurt Ireland on transition defence and if you can't hurt Ireland on transition defence you aren't scoring tries against Ireland unless there's uh, you know multiple you know five metre line out opportunities where to be fair most teams are good so that's the big takeaway looking at it I think that Wales are not blowing the barn doors off anybody at the moment but like I look at the way they played here they played with a real identity where they all understood what they were doing they didn't play a whole lot of rugby but they didn't need to they should have won their line out was fucking scandalously bad. 11 lineouts they won. They lost six. So like 17 lineouts total that they had. Obviously England kicking the ball, getting it off the field an awful lot. But six lineouts against... Okay, look, England had four lineout steals, which is good. They're an off-ball team. They need to have a good defensive lineout. But losing six of your lineouts, like losing four, like, you know, four lineout steals. Look, Mario Atoji is a very good lineout steal guy. You know, and you've got a couple of other players there who were good defensively as well. But you look at Adam Beard, you look at the, you look at Jenkins, the size they have in that uh, in that Welsh pack that started the game. These guys should not be you know coughing up six lineups like that's fucking ridiculous. You know, and I think that like given the the the, the players that Eng- like that 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 England had to start with, you know, a Category A selection, and you're looking at. Um, Wales, how far down the depth chart they were going, like with like Dan Liddy, Tommy Raphael, and, and Tane Plumtree in their back row, you know, like Thomas Willi- Owen Williams starting at ten, you know, like I don't think that's, I don't I don't think that works for him, you know, like but again Wales were were, were trying out depth options here, I think they'll be far happier looking at this game than uh than than England, I think that they got a lot of value out of Josh Adams and Liam Williams, I think both of those players played very well. I think that Dan Bigger off the bench looked really smooth, brought him a lot, brought him an awful lot um, that they could work with. But I just think that uh, you know Wales, if they're gonna play this way, their set piece needs to be rock solid. Their scrum actually looks, looks pretty good. Lineout has to fucking change if they're going to do anything in that tournament. Um, but I think that that's something they'll obviously work on um, and and fix. It's the one obvious thing to take away from this game is that they should have won it. And if they had a functioning lineout, I think they would have won it. But yeah, I think that, you know, both sides are not in a great space at the moment. Wales, obviously, are better, but I think they at least know what they're at. England, I think, have a lot of... They have a lot of discussion. They have a lot of things to work out. I think the, the suspension coming to Owen Farrell, I think it might actually end up giving them some clarity, weirdly enough. I think that with George Ford at 10 uh, this, this coming weekend, I think that offers an awful lot. I think they'll be far more on roll 
um, than what they were to start against Wales. I think that with George Ford, they'll have at least a variety of kicking that they need to make what they're doing work, just from a basic point. Um, their defensive line-out as well is something that Ireland will have to worry about. Like I said, I can see that game being very close up until Ireland more than likely pull away. But, like I said, they've got to work out those catch-22s. You know, they've got to figure out like what their best midfield is. They've got to figure out who their 10 is. Like, And at the same time, you've got to figure out, well, how do we get Owen Farrell into that? Like, and I think with their pack, I'm not sure what their... Like, Mario Batoji, I think, has, has dropped back a bit from the world-class talent that he was. Now, he can obviously catch fire, you know, and, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if he did, but certainly the player I've seen over the last um, over the last while is not the same Mario Batoji. I think that was dominating the Lions Tour in, in uh, was it 2017, and I'm not sure if he's that guy uh, anymore. But I think the game kind of moved moved beyond him to a certain extent as well. Like, he's, he's carried the ball eight times that's you know relatively high up in in the um in the grand scheme of things for for england in their pack but he does not break tackles he is not a massive ball carrier and you know that's something that he's never been really but like i said they have a lot of um they have a lot of issues to work out i think and until they do um they're going to be um struggling and i think that's that's the big test for um, for uh, Borthwick, who I think is a good coach. But the biggest thing he needs to do at the moment is simplify, simplify, simplify. Even if, even if it means that England are playing really ugly fucking ball, I think that's where they need to go before they start building on it. Because, I don't know, it's it, at the moment it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, EC23 says, Tom, how different do you think France will look without Antimac? Whatever about who's better in a vacuum between Antimac and Jalabert or Hastoy, uh, I think the understanding between Dupont, Antimac and Ramos will be very hard to replace. It will. I think that there will be a negligible impact on France, to be honest. I think that what they need, the majority of their kicking is done off nine. Um, their transition work, I think with Jalabert there, is, is, is better, if anything. I don't think there'll be a massive impact for them, to be honest. I think that um, obviously, the, like the the understanding between Antimac and and uh, Ramo and and Dupont is really very important. But I think with the way that France play, not a whole load of on ball rugby. A lot of their best work is done on you know the first and second phase of transition. Jalabert fits in really well there, and I think that you know it's the one area where if they had an injury, I think that Jalabert gives them an awful lot, um, that would would make up for it but yeah it's obviously a sickener emotionally but i think that from a systemic perspective they should be you know look broadly the same evan o'brien says uh, tom what do you read into every bookmaker having new zealand as favorites to win the tournament are they seeing something we're not no i think what they're seeing is is that uh the all blacks at the moment seem like stupid money where they're the favorites and i think that what that what that's doing is it's drawing money to Ireland, to France, to whoever. Um, I think New Zealand are, you know, they're going to be a, a challenger, obviously. We'll know a lot more about them uh, with that first game against France. They do not play serious opposition until then, in my opinion. Um, and I think that what we've seen of them so far has been phony war stuff to a certain extent. But they're doing well. I When I, when I, look, when I look at bookmakers and odds, I look at, I, I disregard them. Because that, that to me is uh, the book, like, they're ads. When I see odds, that's an ad. They're looking for money from somebody. 
people going, oh, the All Blacks are favourites? Oh, no, I think the I think the smart money is on Ireland. The smart money is on France. The smart money is in your pocket, if you ask me. Uh, thanks for the question, though. Uh, Jack says, Tom, how realistic do you think Scotland's chances are of getting out of the group? Uh, it all depends on the opening game. If they can beat Scotland or South Africa, they will get out of the group. Um, and I think that that's a cup final for them. Um, and to me, do I think it's realistic that they beat the Springboks right now? Absolutely. Absolutely, I think they can. Um, obviously, like the the, the, the Springbok scrum and, and I think line out mall and stuff like that will be a big a big uh, challenge for them. But I look at Scotland and I see a team who know that they have the recipe to beat that Scotland t- or that, that South Africa team. And I think that they will be incredibly confident going into that game. Um, and if they can first up, Scotland, you know, Springboks coming in with a few guys injured, like a little bit of uncertainty in their game. Scary. Scary times for a Springboks there, I think. Our man in Havana says, Tom, is there any sign of the gap between the emerging nations in Tier 1 and 2 shrinking? And if so, what games can we expect to see marked by this trend? I think the gap is getting wider and wider. Um, I think I look at the likes of Portugal are actually playing really well. I see them shooting up the, the league, the, 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 the rankings, I would say. But there's a glass ceiling in this game where... Um, the levels of complexity and physicality are so difficult to bridge. I think we're going to see a lot of lopsided results in this game, in, in this World Cup. Like Ireland, if we're anyway serious against Romania, we could put 100 points in them. Um, they are not improving. I look at Georgia, they're improving in a vacuum in that they will beat other, like a tier one team who's in a really bad state, like, like Wales you know prior to, to Gatlin getting his hands in the group properly um, but I think the gap is, is growing to be honest and I think that the level of funding and professionalism that exists at tier 1 like we're kind of getting to the stage now where like the top 4 or 5 teams in the world are kind of pulling away from everybody else as well where the level of rugby they're playing is at such an advanced level athletically you know tactically uh, and from a skill perspective that it's difficult for the teams even who are nominally tier one to keep up with them like that's kind of where the the game is going I think and I think you know, I look at tier like the tier two teams and, and, and whatever I think that they're going to really really struggle I think coming into this coming into this World Cup but that's my take on it at the moment I think uh, Fiji I think are doing really good stuff at the moment um, they have a lot of good quality players I think Samoa and Tonga have good players coming back into them but the system isn't developed enough so yeah I, I think that the gap is only getting bigger, in my opinion. And I've, I've, I've got to see more stuff. I'll be watching more Tier 2 coming up now in the next build-up to the Romania game and the Tonga game. I'll be doing my research on them. But from like the little bit I've seen of them so far, I, I just see a lot of really good individuals. But the system and their, their overall concept just not being at the level that it needs to be to even come close, I think. Uh, this is from Mackers. Hi, Tom. Hypothetically, if Owen Farrell misses the entire group stage... Who would you select at 10, 12, and 13 for England? Would it be similar conundrum to the ones that Africa have? It's actually very similar, I think, Mackers. I think it's very similar in concept uh, between those two uh, teams. I would go, um, depending on, on fitness, we'll say, we assume all those guys are fit. I would start with 4 to 10. I would start with Manitoulagi at 12. And I would start with um, Joe Marchant at outside centre. And basically, I'm kicking the ball an awful lot. I'm getting... The, I'm, I'm looking at Henry Arundel. I want to try and get him more involved if I can. Um, I, I'm going to move Elliot Daly to fullback, and I'm going to move Freddie Stewart to the wing, blindside wing. 
and uh, I want to use Elliot Daly to extend my lines. I want him basically to, I want you to be the supply line to Henry Arundel. Uh, we need to have the likes of Tuolagi and Marchant to force compressions in midfield. I want Freddie Stewart forcing compressions in midfield as well, but as an inside ball option rather than being the fullback. I think that if we get Elliot Daly into that spot, if I'm England, I'm thinking that he gives us a kicking option there obviously as well uh, and allows us to basically just get the ball where we need to, where we need the ball in Ben Earl's hand, we need the ball in Harry, uh, Henry Arundel's hand. And I think with that change we've got in George Ford, a guy who has a, a very high pass per carry ratio as, a, as an individual, which means he doesn't carry the ball an awful lot. That's okay, we don't need him to. He's a good kicker of the ball. We do need him to do that. But it's okay for him to dump it off to Freddie Stewart, inside ball, to Manitou Laggy, outside ball, or to go further again and hit Joe Marchant. We can do that. Can he find Elliot Daly in, a, in the second third layer? Absolutely he can. Can Elliot Daly make plays in that in that position? Absolutely he can as well. I think that if we're going to go with uh, Jacques Willis and we're going to go with Ben Earl, um, and, and you know, I think that they're two guys I have in my back row anyway, regardless. Forget about numbers. Um, and I would then go with the likes of Courtney Laws. So, like, get Courtney Laws in at, 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 at you know, in, into a half-lock spot. That's going to be my, my big three in the line. I was going to be a Toji. It's going to be Courtney Laws. And I, I like the look of, of George Martin. Thought he, he actually played quite well. Um, but I think they're my big three for my, for my jumpers. I think Jacques Willis can jump in there and do that as well. But I think if you mix it up and, get, like, it, use Ford, we're going to kick high from England. I'm going to kick high. Freddie Stewart is going to chase up on the wings. We don't need him in the backfield doing, you know, you know, get, getting our, our alignment right back there. High ball. He's more involved on the wing anyway, I feel, uh, from a contestable perspective. I think that would work. And I, that, I think that would be a, a better way for England to go about what they're trying to do. But like I said, it feels like they've got a lot of catch-22s at the moment that are kind of holding them back. Anyway, I'll be back with uh, the green eye looking at the Ireland versus England game coming up this weekend. All of the selection questions that are going to be raised I think that are going to be coming in that and we will um, yeah looking forward to it actually so thank you very much for joining me I've got a lot of content that I've been doing over the last couple of days it's ended up being taken quite long that's going to be coming out in the next day or two so they're going to have maybe four or five articles coming out and one, one other podcast other than this so enjoy and thank you for being a subscriber uh, if you want to save a little bit of money as well that saving thing that I had the uh, 16% that hasn't gone off Patreon yet. I think it's gone off at the end of this week. So if you want to do a yearly subscription, now is the best time. Um, if that if that makes it easier for you, because I know everything's very expensive at the moment, but if that makes it easier for you, uh, more power to you. Anyway, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a tier case subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon. Boom!